Don't you wish that just like Marty McFly, you could go back 30 years and correct some of the injustices, some of the things that might have happened to you, or maybe just some of the dumb decisions that you made as well? Wouldn't that be nice? For the record, if we were to go back 30 years, Marty McFly went back from 1985 to 1955, we would only be going back to 1991. Doesn't that make you feel kind of old? And it does me. I thought, oh man, what would I do differently in seventh grade? That's crazy. But, but you know, you ask the question, because when we go back and we think about things like that, things that have happened, and we think, wow, that would be cool to go back and fix them. But it raises this question that if we have a God who is all-knowing, if we have a God who is all-powerful, who is not restricted by time, then how come... He let some of those things happen in the first place. How come He didn't keep them from happening? The reality is, is we've all experienced a lot of darkness. We've experienced a lot of darkness on this earth throughout its history. And it doesn't seem to be getting brighter all the time either. A few years ago, an Episcopal priest by the name of Tish Harrison Warren and her husband, who's also an Episcopal priest, moved from her sunny home in Austin, Texas, to Pittsburgh in January. One week later, her dad died unexpectedly while he was asleep one night. A month later, Tish miscarried, and the next month found herself pregnant again, only to have to be put on bed rest for several months before eventually losing that child too. Tish describes herself in her book, I found myself as a priest who couldn't pray. She kept coming back to this written prayer from the Book of Common Prayer that's meant to be prayed in the night, and she found it extremely comforting for her in her time of darkness. Here's what it says. It says, Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, Give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. Amen. And as she's written about this in her book called Prayer in the Night, uh, which I read in a hurry this winter during this dark COVID winter that we experienced this last winter. Today we look at a prayer in the night for the early church. A time that felt helpless. A time where they felt that everything was going against them. A time when the rulers of the world had seemed to converge against the church. The reality is is that there are moments in this life where the darkness is strong. There are even extended seasons in history of our culture and of other cultures where the darkness never seemed to go away. We even have a period of history that lasted, some historians say, as long as a thousand years known as the Dark Ages. I believe that we're in a cultural dark moment right now. But many of us just assumed that this moment would go away after when the calendar hit 2021 and the election was over, or whenever COVID finally goes away. But What if this is just the beginning of a darker period of time, not the end? What if the end that we keep hoping for in our culture doesn't actually come, but it continues to perpetuate further and further? Are we prepared 
to handle such darkness. The early church faced a similar dark moment in Acts 12. Let's take a look at this text in Acts 12. It says, at the time King Herod, remember that guy, King Herod? He's actually one of four or so Herods, so this is actually not the one that Jesus faced at his birth. It's the one that he would have faced closer to his death here. And so at the time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. And he executed James. This is John's brother. Remember one of the sons of thunder? He executed him with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, meaning the Jewish leaders who were coming against the Jews, remember a lot of the church, most of the church at this time were Jewish people who had become followers of Jesus. He proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him and intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. This is a dark moment. James is one of the big three, if you will, apostles. He was one who would have been, had the most, uh, most leadership entrusted to him in the early church. He's the brother of John, one of the other, the big three, if you will. And John is going to be deeply affected by this when his brother dies. And then the third one is Peter, who is now in prison. The church is saying, what's going to happen to us? All of these bad things are happening. All of this darkness is happening. James is dead. The kings uh, you know, of this world and the Jewish people were working together against the Christians here. And we look at this and we just say, man, how are we going to get out of this? And so it says in verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Fervently is just one way that prayer is described in this passage. It's actually uh, in, in, in a tense here that's conveying that it wasn't just a praying like one night they were praying, but this was a continual act that the people of God were doing. They were praying continuously. They were praying fervently to God for Simon Peter. In this passage, we saw a lot of things. One of the things that we saw is that people were literally cheering on evil. People were cheering on the unjust death of James. And it seems to be in our culture that more and more, we are seeing people not just tolerate evil, but literally cheer on evil right before our very eyes. Church, we cannot fall victim to this. And I think in our culture, as we've seen Christianity become more and more from the home team to the visiting team, we see people cheering against Christians as well. And it's so easy to get in this cultural war where we try to fight back. But let me encourage you, you do not fight back from darkness with darkness. You fight darkness with light. You fight darkness with love. You fight darkness by enduring patiently. That is how we see ourselves enduring in a culture such as ours. 
We also see that there's a flashback to the crucifixion of Jesus here. Did you notice that all this is taking place over Passover? The same time when Jesus would have been crucified and then ultimately, of course, resurrected. But we see all of this happening at the same time. It's almost like that, that his followers are now experiencing the hardship that he faced around the time of his crucifixion. How will God respond in this situation, though? And we also just have this problem that emerges for us here. No matter how the story ends, the reality is, is that James is dead, isn't he? James is gone. And we have to understand that this is a problem that we must wrestle with. We just can't say, oh, well, that's too bad. No, like, God could have saved James' life, but he, he chose not to for whatever reason. We, we have this, this situation that we call a theodicy. That is, how is it that we vindicate God's divine goodness and the view of the existence of evil. And Flannery O'Connor has simply said, theodicy is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be endured. In other words, we're not going to get it all figured out in this lifetime, but how do we endure in the midst of the darkness and believe and trust that God is good still? There's a couple named Julian Hunter who had a young son who had to have a very important yet risky surgical procedure. Before they took her son away for surgery, Julie looked at her husband, Hunter, and said, we have to decide right now whether or not God is good. Because if we wait to determine that by the results of this surgery, we will always keep God on trial. Man, what wisdom. We have to decide right now that no matter whatever happens, that God is good because otherwise we'll have him up there on the stand. As we engage deeper in this text this morning, let me give you a basic premise that I want us to wrestle with here today. Here it is. Only God can turn our darkest moments into his greatest victories. Only God can take our darkest moments and turn them into his greatest victories. I've got to acknowledge to you this morning that this is not how I originally wrote it when I wrote it out this week. I originally wrote it out into our greatest victories. The reality is, though, is that you and I are not the ones who are the victors here. It is not our plan that wins out. While we receive a victory, it is God's victory. It is God's plan that wins out. And in our self-indulgent culture that we have created, we have to acknowledge that so often we're looking for God to fulfill our plan to give us what we want as opposed to saying, no, the early church was committed to fulfilling God's plans, not our plans. And so often we need a dark moment for what we're holding on to to finally die so that what God is planting in us can finally live. So here's what goes on to here. We see this dark moment. God starts to do a great work. So how is it that God works in the darkness? We'll start to see here in verse 6 and following. It says, when Herod was about to bring him, meaning Peter, out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers. Now let's, let's just pause right there and acknowledge that God waited till the last minute to save Peter. This is not because God is a procrastinator, though I wouldn't mind that because that would justify some of my actions, I suppose. 
God is not waiting till the last moment because he's lazy. He worked the first six days and took the seventh off, not vice versa, okay? But God is not just waiting till the last moment. He's waiting till the precise moment so that he can do his greatest work. I've heard it said that God is seldom early, but he's never late. And I agree with that sentiment. So often it feels like God is waiting until the last moment. Maybe he's just got a dramatic flair for what he's about to do. He wants us to wait. As we wait, we grow. Here it says that he was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared. It's like Christmas all over again. And a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. I love this. Peter is sleeping in the midst of all this. And what does the angel do? He gets him in the side right here. Do you think he had a bruise as a result of that? I don't know. I don't know if you could take an angel strike without being a little bruised. I'm wondering, what was the next step for the angel if that didn't wake up this tough old fisherman, Peter? Slap him upside the face, dump a bucket of water over his head. How's this going to work out? Striking Peter on his side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off of his wrists. What does God do in the dark? The first thing that we see God doing in the dark is He breaks the chains. He breaks the chains that was holding Peter from accomplishing God's purpose. Do you know what chains you have that are keeping you from accomplishing God's purpose? Would you, would you just hold your hands out like this as if they were bound? Make a fist like they're, they're in chains and then close your eyes with me. God, would you help us to see the chains that are holding us back from accomplishing your purpose? God, help us to see the things that maybe we've called good, but are actually distracting us from you. Father, help us to visualize what it would be to let go of those chains. To actually be set free. Some of us for the very first time. Amen. You can, you can do that in, in your quiet time. You can do that probably not while you're driving down the road. That'd be a bad thing. You can do that though anytime and just say, God, show me what chains I have. Help me to see what it is. And I believe that God is faithful through His Holy Spirit to help us start to discern, especially as we are in His Word, what those chains are. What is it that has a hold of you? In verse 8, the angel gives some very good instructions to him. He says, get dressed, Peter. We don't want you to run around naked, right? The angel told him, put on your sandals because we're going for a run, son. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know what, that what the angel did was really happening. He thought he was sleep running at this point in time. But he thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and second guards, we don't know what happened to the guards. It doesn't bother to tell them maybe they just slept through it all because God can do that if he wants. Maybe like he bopped them, Peter in his side, he bopped them over top of the head. I don't know. 
I'd kind of like to know. Put that in your questions to ask after Christ returns list. They came to the iron gate. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. Apparently they had proximity sensors on this gate. No. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. So what does God do in the dark? The first thing we see him do is that he breaks the chains. The second thing that we see him do is that he opens the doors. God opens the doors in the midst of the darkness. While everybody else is sleeping, somehow God opens the doors for us that we need to see, that we need to walk through. But let me be very clear here. As I was looking at this this week, I realized that oftentimes what I do is I'm praying for the doors to be open before I'm praying for the chains to be released. Friends, you've got to get these in the right order. You've got to make sure that you know before the door can be opened, you need the chains to be broken first. And secondly, what we understand is that this door wasn't just standing there wide open before Peter and the angel got there, but it opened for them as they were approaching it. As they were approaching a dead end, God opened the door for them. And I want to tell you that as you're walking along in faith, God doesn't open all the doors for the next month for you all at once. Unless you're one of God's spoiled kids and you don't want to be one of those, okay? The reality is, is that God opens the door for you the moment that you need it open for you. The moment you are most desperate for Him to open it for you. The moment when you would know, oh, the gates just opened. No, the moment you know, God, if it isn't for you, that door would not have opened. Church, believe. Keep on going. God will not lead you down a dead end. He might lead you down a tunnel that has a locked door at the end, but it is not to get you there to stymie you. It is to get you there so that you can see His provision one more time. Because when you see His provision, you'll be able to share that story with others. This story has been shared for almost 2,000 years now. How can your story influence others of how God opens the doors? There's one more thing that we see in this text, but you've got to know this text is starting to get good. Luke, the author, starts to throw in more and more humorous comments throughout this text. Maybe it's because in the darkest of times, we need to laugh a little bit too. I don't know. But listen to what happens. When Peter came to himself, remember he was sleeping, and I know it takes me about a half hour to wake up in the morning after this second half hour snooze. He said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all the Jewish people, all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is called Mark. He's got to clarify here because there's like all those Marys in scripture, right? There's like four Marys that keep popping up here. There's a bunch of Johns. There's a bunch of Marks. There's all these guys here. And so he's got to clarify to us. But listen, what what were they doing where many had assembled and were praying. And so he knocks, he knocks at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. And she recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate. 
but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. This is like we had friends show up uh, from Kenya the other day to our house. The kids run out and say, Mom and Dad, the Maxwells are here, the Maxwells are here. Well, did you let them in? Somehow in the midst of the excitement, we, we, we realize that we're kind of out of our minds here. And so they told her in verse 15, you're out of your mind. Just keep on praying that he'll be released. Keep on praying. And she's like, he is released. They're like, you're crazy, lady. But she kept on insisting that it was true. They said, it's his angel, which we're not going to get into all what that's trying to say there. But basically, you're just seeing things. Peter, however, kept on knocking, getting louder and louder and louder. Okay, I put that in the text, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Motioning to them to keep his hands silent, which in the Hebrew culture, I believe, is pretty sure on that one. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell these things to James, the other James. The James who's actually the brother of Jesus, who's emerging as a leader in the early church in Jerusalem. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. And so then Herod goes down uh, the next few verses to Tyre and Sidon, and they basically start worshiping him. And it says in verse 22, the assembled people began, as Herod's got on his bright, shiny robes, uh, and they began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. And at once the angel of the Lord struck Herod dead, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. Interestingly enough, this is an account that Josephus, the Jewish historian, also records. Fascinating. Eaten by worms and died. No way for a king to go. But in verse 24, the word of God spread and multiplied. What does God do in the darkness? He breaks the chains. He opens the doors. And He overcomes the powers of darkness. God will overcome the powers of darkness. Do not trust in the powers of darkness. Trust in God who is the light of the world. Tish Harrison warned in her book, she says, I don't know why God allows affliction, but I do know this. He is found among the afflicted. Somehow God comes to us in the darkness but let me just ask you this. We know that God breaks the chains. But what if the chains He wants to set us free from aren't the physical chains held by the oppressor, but are the chains that keep, are keeping us from forgiving those who have oppressed us? But what if the doors that we know God opens, what if the doors that God wants to open for us aren't those that lead to a comfortable new job where we make all kinds of cash? But it's a door that is open for us to share the Gospels with our neighbors and our friends in spite of the suffering that we are currently enduring. We know that God overcomes the powers of darkness, but, but, but just what if the power of darkness that is overcome is not the political party that we despise the most, whichever one that might be, 
but it's actually the work of Satan that is overcome, that's been holding back our families and communities for generations. What if that's the door that God chooses to open? What if that's the way that God chooses to overcome the darkness? What if that's the way that God chooses to set us free? So what do we do in the dark? How do we respond in the midst of the darkness? The clearest thing that we see in this text is that we pray fervently. We pray fervently knowing that this battle is not our own, but this battle is the Lord's. That we are not strong enough on our own, but the Lord is strong enough. We become so dependent on prayer that we realize and we celebrate that we are not strong enough on our own and that is okay. We pray fervently. Author and musician Andrew Peterson, the one who wrote uh, Is He Worthy that you've probably heard on the radio, tells the story that happened back in the early 2000s where a, a, a couple, a married couple in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, called and asked if he would come do a private concert in their home for just the two of them. It was an odd request, but there was a reason why. When Peterson and one of his friends went to the airport in Cedar Rapids, flew in, and the husband picked him up, he found out that the fan's name, Jody, his wife, was dying. Now you see, about 20 years ago, while she was in college, Jody had been brutally attacked. And as a result of all the bad things that she had happened to her on that night, she had contracted AIDS. And even though uh, she had AIDS from the attack that would define the rest of her life, her high school sweetheart still married her and had been serving as her caregiver. And as the disease progressed, her immune system continued to fail. She also developed brain tumors and other multiple types of cancers. But she was paralyzed had a constant itching all over her body, and along with seizures, MRSA infections, staph infections, a constant fever of about 104, which led to hallucinations and nightmares, which were always about the night she was attacked. When Peterson arrived at Jody's home for the concert, they told him that she had been unresponsive for about a week, but that they should go ahead and sing for her as they thought she could still hear them, because whenever they prayed for her each day, they would notice that several times tears would start to come to her eyes, even though they got no other response from her. And so as they began to sing a few songs in, her eyes opened, and she tried to speak, but she really couldn't vocalize the words. But they could read her lips and understand what she was saying. What does a person who has gone through all that say after a week where they have been completely out of it? After all that she had been through and all the completely unresponsiveness as she lay there dying, the first words out of her mouth were to declare to everyone in the room how good God had been to her throughout her life and to offer words of praise to God. Peterson said about the moment, it just didn't compute to me. It was so hard to understand. 
He humored, I stubbed my toe and I began to question the existence of God. And yet here is Jody suffering in this awful injustice of pain, and she's full of praise and light. He continued, watching her mouth the words of my songs as I sang them, helped me to believe them even more than what I did the moment when I wrote them. After the visit, Peterson wrote a song in Jody's honor called The Queen of Iowa. The first few lines I'll read, I promise I will not sing them for you. It says, I met the Queen of Iowa, and she was dying on a couch in the suburbs. And with all the things she was dying of, she was more alive than the others. She was pretty as a flower in a crystal vase. It lights up the room as it withers away. And she opened her eyes when she heard the music play. With all the darkness that Jody experienced, with all the darkness that the early church experienced, how in the world are they able to be such symbols of light? Friends, I tell you that it's not mere optimism that gets us through that type of pain. Optimism died a long time ago in the midst of their pain. What got them through is nothing other than a sheer and utter belief that Christ Jesus is risen from the dead. And because He endured such darkness, because He endured the darkest night, we too can endure knowing that the same victory that awaited Jesus Christ on Easter resurrection morning awaits for us too. The darkness, friends, is just a little longer. Choose to be a light. Because the reality is the only way that we can believe that our chains will be broken, and the only reason we believe that the doors will be open, and the only reason we believe that the powers of darkness were overcome, is because we know that on Easter Sunday morning, the stone was rolled away by God Himself. And because we believe in the resurrection of Christ, that He will return and set all things right. That He will return and we will receive eternal life. That we will have renewed bodies that will never succumb to sickness or death or pain or suffering ever again. We can endure in the darkness and be light. Church, Christ is risen. Go and shine your light in the midst of a dark world who is yearning, who is longing for their chains to be broken. Father, we trust in you today. We acknowledge how hard it is to believe in the midst of darkness. And Lord, whether our story is like James, who didn't see the great deliverance yet, he's still waiting with us for resurrection or whether it be Peter who saw a temporary reprieve, who saw an amazing story and yet later on was still crucified for his faith, who was still martyred for his faith. He waits with us. And Lord, we acknowledge, Jesus, that you were faithful. You were faithful to endure. And because you endured, we can endure too. 
Lord, may we not fight the darkness with darkness, but may we choose as you did on the cross to fight the darkness with light. While those were cursing you and crucifying you, you you pled, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. May we do the same. May we endure patiently because you have risen from the dead and we believe you're coming back. Give us the power, Lord. May we shine in the darkest moments, into the darkest lives, into the darkest situations because you who are the light of the world have now empowered us as the church to be the light of the world. May we shine through your hope May the darkness not overcome us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.